Welcome to Tigers SRD with two hosts who always start on second, Chris Brown, never-ending parade of mediocrity, and Roger Castillo. Oh, Roger, live in Detroit. All right, welcome to another edition of Tigers SRD, but this is the MCB Roundtable. This is version, what, five? Uber? Is that right? I think that's close. Yeah. We'll call it five. We'll call it five. There you go. I'm really going to see alongside me is my assembled crew. Uh, a couple of first timers. Uh, Colin, you've, you've been on a podcast before, right? I have. I was part of the last round. Yep. That's right. And then new, the, I know it's new. Joe, you've, have you been on a podcast before? I've not. First timer. The first timer. Okay. Awesome. Yep. So uh, Joe, by the way, comes over from us via a great site over the same time, the site that Chris came from uh, takes down. So welcome aboard, Joe. Just wanted to formally introduce you to everybody out there. And of course, another two, Second or third appearance, or the fifth appearance for both Jake and Uper on the roundtable. So we're going to break down the top 20 tonight, our top 20 list. We're going to go some, we have some questions from the audience as well. And hopefully we might have another guest join us too as well. So this is the most we've ever, I, this is kind of a lot of juggling here. So, but I will be playing host and we'll go back and forth, but some breaking news from the Tigers. They signed, uh, we were talking beforehand, the big signing of uh, Willie Peralta, to a minor league deal, he's going to get an invite to camp and a bullpen arm to throw out there, I guess, for competition. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big thing this year is everybody's going to need innings from somewhere. So this is just a depth planning, I think, for if anything, just for Toledo. But who knows? Maybe he'll come up at some point. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to be too disappointed about these, you know, minor league, you know, minor league sightings to add some, you know, add some depth, especially at, you know, what in baseball terms amounts to, you know, amounts to peanuts. It's, you know, tough to be too disappointed about a signing like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we can all joke about the sarcasm about it, but it is kind of, <laughs> well, no, I mean, we, we talk about them. We want the bad pitching. They're talking about adding pitching. We keep pining for like Taiwan Walker, or Rick Porcello or somebody, something like that. And you, know, you get whatever Kashao from, uh, you know, the former Yankees prospect. Oh yeah, that's right. The the guy who's built like a linebacker. His name sounds like some sort of onomatopoeia. <laughs> False show. Yeah, yeah. I he was a top three prospect at one point for the Yankees, but I wasn't familiar with him. Yeah, was I. yeah. but I mean, it, it fits the description of what AJ Hinch wants to do, which is give relievers multiple innings. We'll get to that to some of the comments that are going on in spring training and. But th- yeah, th- let's start with the top twenty list, the top twenty prospects and. For us, this was a, I think, uh, you know, in terms of decision-making, what have you, I think the the 10 through 20 was kind of, I'll have the list up here. here. Originally, it was kind of, when we first looked at it, the, the people who got votes, the ones who were just left out, Cody Clemens, Winsiel Perez, and it's like the other one was Santana. And but the, the, we didn't really, in terms of the uh, ten to twenty, there wasn't really consensus consistency with it. Was there with with it? Was there, Chris? I didn't see anything that seemed like it was universal across the board. Well, you know, I just found it kind of interesting because we all only did our top twenty, and uh, we still got really close to all being consistent. There were only three guys who were kind of off the board, really, and there were only two or three that weren't on all five, I think. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty, uh, I mean, you know, the orders are, are in different, you know, 
just different, but uh, none of them are like crazy off. I don't think there are a couple outliers. I try to, I try to uh, outline the ones where we, some of us were the high man and the low man, the high man being uh, red, the low man being black. Uh, and yeah, you see it, it's, uh, it's me, you and, and you probably that, that uh, got a little, got a little crazy at times. Got to shake it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Kellen, I, I was going to ask for your your thoughts too because you, you you're a big prospect guy, and in terms of even when you were coming out with the top twenty, how was it on your end to kind of come up with the order? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're really breaking this down, I mean, it, it at the back end of the top twenty here, you have a lot of projectable guys that we haven't really seen much, right? So you have your your Campos, your Colt Keith, um, you know, you could include Workman in there. De La Cruz, Adenso Reyes, all those guys are, you know, we know them for what their body is right now. Um, they have a lot of projectability on their frames. Um, you know, Keith, De La Cruz and, and Reyes especially have a lot of, you know, power potential. Um, but a lot of those guys we haven't really seen much from, you know, either because they were just drafted or because uh, they haven't really came over stateside yet. Um, so I think the, that was kind of the case in that tier. Uh, and as you, you got up the list a little bit here, you know, you started to see players, um, you know, like Meadows, uh, Daz Cameron that are, I guess, more veterans in the system that we, we have at least some sample size here to go off of. So uh, I think more of a challenge down at the bottom tier, there, kind of separating those guys just because the sample size is so small. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because especially with uh, Salon Reyes and even Campos, I mean, Campos has been last seen, what, since he was 14, there was, I guess there, he was 14 years old yep. for the Cuban junior national team, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Jake, in terms of even for you, I mean, you've been working on prospects list less than right for left uh, with myself over at prospects live. Same thing, the same question. I mean, in terms of making that 20, 10 to 20 decision, was it easy? A lot of no brainers for you? <laughs> No, it it wasn't no any no brainers really. You kind of had to because you look at that bucket. I mean, it's um, Cabrera was just drafted. Meadows has struggled. Perez has been injured quite a bit. Fiedo just had Tommy John. Rogers, we don't know what to make of because he was, you know, I don't want to say demoted, but he was never really brought up to begin with. Um, Packard, kind of everybody's high on, but he's switching to a new position. Workman was just drafted. Like you can find a flaw in each of these guys, whether it's just lack of eyes or, um, you know, injury or performance. So, no, it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy task at all to to get 10 through 20 together at all. And you can see I was a little man on De La Cruz, but again, I mean, that's 19. I think we had him ranked 17. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's not that far off. So. Yeah. I mean, I was joking that, that Jake and uh, Kellen were basically like dead nuts on what ended up in our <laughs> It was just like literally almost perfect spot, spot on. So yeah, I mean, uh, if you want to judge the accuracy of the list, those, those might be the ones I, I think some of the, some of the, Stuff. If people are looking at it, they might be a little bit curious about some of the decisions that the rest of us made, particularly up top. Um, so I don't know if we want to. I, mean, yeah. I think I think all five of us basically had the same top five, except Rogelio. I think you had Freddie Smith instead of Manning. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I went because based off the fact that I've seen more Freddies than Manning, because one of the things that has been getting in my brain more is how much. Do I see the other I get, but I have to get out of the mindset and, and chip uh, James Chipman has told me this and you as well kind of 
the overall arc of where the prospect's going to be. So that's what I, I have to still get that mindset of, I always say, well, I have to see it. I have to see them. And I've seen Manning only once in person. So that was where that, my mindset was coming from that, from that. Yeah. And I think basically any of these, all of these are, are you know, uh, defensible and, and I, you know, there's no, we're not going to be shaming anybody, but it, uh, I mean, I, I imagine some people would be curious why I had Torkelson third and Scooble second. I was the only one to do either of those. I was the high on Scooble and low on Torkelson. Uh, I don't know if other people like were like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me, a, a lot of it, I'll say, and this is the, the same reason I'm the only one who didn't have Bryant Packard on the list. And I like Brian Packard a lot, but a lot of this comes down to uh, position, basically defensive position and the demands from that position to even be an average player. Uh, and that's why I have Torkelson in third rather than, than, you know, first or second is I, I'm not convinced he's going to play third base. Maybe we'll see. Maybe he'll go out and, and prove me wrong this year. And, and, you know, that's all these lists are, are just a snapshot in time. You know, I, I could change my mind in a month if I see, see Torkelson look really good. Uh, but basically, the idea is that uh, I, I kind of just this all by picturing their eventual war in my head and what these players are going to provide and become uh, even like a four war player at first base. You have to just go absolutely nuts. You have to hit 30 home runs and like hit 300 and walk. And, and it's very possible Torkelson does that, but I just feel like that's still going to be the upper end of what he does. I'm not. I guess I'm not convinced he's going to be like this superhuman power hitter. Like I, I feel like he's going to be more like a 25 to 35 home run guy than a 40 plus. And I think with compared to before, I had a joke that he, he might be Castellanos with more walks, which is still a good player, but I, it's, you know, I, I'm just a little bit wary right now. That's why I have him third. So Chris, that, that kind of begs the question then, like, what, what do you see from Scooble? Do you see a top of the rotation starter? I, you know, I see, I think I see somewhere between a three and a two. And it's, it's tough. Again, we're going off small samples. And, and part of this is just like, hey, uh, Torkelson, we didn't get to see him play against big league competition. And we did get to see Scooble. And Scooble wasn't great, but there were some underlying things in his performance that I, I think are really promising. And you'll see him, he, he gets knocked. Uh, I think ESPN and Fangrass both pointed out that, you know, he, he throws so many fastballs and, and very few other successful pitchers do that. But he still missed a ton of bats, a major league bat with his fastball last year. He got hit for, he get you know, gave him home runs on him too. But it's just sort of the, the, the strikeout rate, I think, it, you know, it was small samples, but it would have been like top 20, top 25 among all pitchers in baseball last year. And same with the swing and miss, I think. I feel like even though, that fastball might be, uh, you know, might be throwing it too much. It might, might be, you know, get him in trouble occasionally. I think it's going to be a legit plus or plus, plus, plus pitch for him in the major level. Uh, and from there, I feel like, you know, if that's, if your main pitch can miss bats and when hitters know it's coming, then I think that's kind of the limit for you. I mean, you still have to find other pitches. And I think he's got the potential with his, uh, the slider at least. And his changeup appears to be kind of, at least from last year, it looked more like a straight changeup. Like it didn't seem to fade at all. But I think, I think given what he has, like the baseline of, of knowing that he could strike guys out, which is the best pitch, uh, I think there's a lot of room for growth there. And I, I could see a potential number two starter. And even if nothing works out, I could see a like super reliever in the, in the realm of Josh Hader, who might put up three war per year just as a reliever. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. 
uh, just kind of I'm picturing in my head I've got Torkelson as like a three war player every year and Google like three to four and, and green like you know four plus. Not well, to worry, oh no, no, sorry. I was, <laughs> I was considering anybody else wanted to chime in after that, but as far as again, as far as like in terms of Scooble, I, I know that there's a lot of I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, but it's kind of like the idea because of his delivery, there is some sort of injury risk. You guys believe any of that? I'll start with you, Joe. I mean, do you believe in based off his delivery? There's or that's just kind of like one of those like it's going to happen because he already had Tommy John. So I was just kind of curious what you guys thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily see anything that tells me that he's going to be a greater risk than any pitching, you know, than, than any pitching prospect who, you know, who's out there. Um, you know, I, I even think he's helped by the fact that he does use that fastball, you know, such a high percentage of the time, I think tends to tell me that there may be some dirt, you know, there could be some durability there. So you know, no, I don't think he's a player that, you know, I'm necessarily concerned that he's a greater injury risk than, you know, the old, uh, the old, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect adage, you know, that, that people throw out there because, you know, they just inherently have more risk than position players because they get injured more often. Anybody else? Well, that's where I would be, be going with it too. Uh, uh, I was, I think I was low on Scooble. I had him at five, but you're splitting hairs with him and Manning. Um, but I had Manning four and Scooble five behind Torkelson and Green primarily because uh, they're pitchers and pitchers break down. Um, but that's not to say that his delivery, his mechanics are, are making him injury prone. Number one, I don't think I'm 100% qualified to have an opinion on that. But two, so many pitchers get hurt and there's no telltale reason why half the time, uh, you know, Justin Verlander was healthy for 20 years and all of a sudden he broke down last year. You know, uh, I don't think his mechanics changed. Maybe it wore out. Who knows? But it finally let go. And that could happen to any of these guys. Um, you know, like when you look at Mize, one of the reasons uh, I know I ranked him number two, but I still have some trepidation about him because he's had that injury background uh, in high school and in college. He hasn't had the massive breakdown yet, but he's like, he's always been um, on the precipice. It sounds like, so we'll just have to see where that goes, but that's just the, that's just the way of doing business with pitchers. Uh, they could break down. So I'm not too worried about school in that respect. Uh, I love the Josh Hader comparison that's kind of where i was going as well um you know hopefully he's a starter we'd rather have that but if he is only a super reliever take the word only out of it because the way the game is moving that is a weapon and the tigers are going to need more and more weapons of any variety right now because right now they don't have very many at all so uh if that's what he turns out to be that'd be fantastic and if far as the top oh go ahead I was just gonna say, just circling back on his uh, his twenty twenty performance, real quick too. Like, I know Chris mentioned that Fangraphs and and some of the other scouting outlets out there kind of dinged him for his fastball usage, but I actually I saw that as a positive. Um, you know, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he threw that fastball about seventy percent of the time, right? And um, you know, I think it was a positive sign that that he didn't just get crushed, you know, throwing the fastball that much. Um, and obviously 
he's probably going to be a little bit more homer prone than you'd like just, just with throwing that pitch that much, but just taking a look at his secondaries when he did throw them. I mean, he, he got a swing and miss rate in the changeup of 32%, the curveball 44% and the slider above 25% as well. So, you know, when he did throw those, he still got, he still missed bats. He still got swing and miss. So, you know, if he, he, Chris Fetter comes in, if he's able to change his, his pitch mix a little bit to include, you know, that slider and that change up a little bit more, you know, maybe he will miss bats and, you know, limit the hits and the homers a little bit there. So I was actually encouraged by what he did last year, especially with that fastball. You're some of the numbers you're, you're mentioning earlier, the whiff is the whiff percentage is at 28%. And I mean, he, you're right. He did allow a lot of home runs with that pitch, but to get an XBA of two Oh three, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that, that's pretty good. Well, well and that's the thing I, I think about his, I think his delivery helps him a lot. He's, he's got, so he's got all like sort of all the, the traits that the modern pitching, you know, design or designers uh, want. He's got a really high spin on the fastball. He's got a great vertical uh, angle, and he hides the ball well. So, yeah, I, I just think it's it's probably the single best pitch among all these pitching prospects. Uh, and you know, nobody can survive in one pitch except for uh, Mariano Rivera. But as as Jones and that more to him there. And I don't know. I just I think he's got a little bit higher ceiling than uh, than he's uh, than most people recognize. But I think, as you were saying, we're really splitting hairs with all these guys. These are five legit top 50 prospects. We've, we've talked about it a lot on the site and, and the podcast before. I've been, you know, kind of you, your mileage may vary by who you, uh, how and where you rank the guys. And what about you, Jake? I mean, uh, in terms of just where you stand with the top five, because there's, I mean, there's the fan graphs too, where, for example, Riley Green's 38th, and, and there's, there's other, you, you and Kellen Bofer have been examining the lists closely. So, what about you, Jake? <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, we could be maybe the the hot take machine as it pertains to to Riley Green as the as the best prospect uh, in the Tiger system, and and that's fine, I guess. But um, yeah, you really are splitting hairs with with these top five. You know, MLB Pipeline has all five in the top twenty five overall in baseball. Mm-hmm. So really, you could put these in any order and pretty pretty well justify you know why they deserve to be you know, in the spot that they are. Um, for me personally, just looking at mine, I went Torkelson Green and then I went Scooble Manning. And um, I, I really just favored <clears throat> position player talent. Mm-hmm. You know, like Torkelson's bad a lot. Um, I think he's going to, I think he's going to walk. I think he's going to get out and runs. You know, I see, I see Torkelson as the, as the Mark Teixeira type of production. And I see um, Green more in the, I don't know, Nick Markakis type production, not, not anything against him. That's a fine outcome for, for a player like that. Um, but that's just kind of how I, how I envisioned them. And then, you know, school, I, I felt like I had to, um, plead my case in the article because I wrote up Scooble um, <laughs> in, in the countdown and and just kind of explain where we were coming from with this and we kind of talked at nauseum about it in our uh, Slack chat um, about Scooble versus Mize and and pros and cons and things and I, I personally have some some concerns with injury with Mize I mean, know he's a hard worker uh, I know he's up as far as I know on all of the the pitch design and um, analytics and things like that um, I think he's going to be fine ultimately but it, it's just a funky motion and it's very odd and i know the splitter and, and that might be old school i don't i don't know the what the jury is on that but i know that has been linked to arm injuries in the past um you know at times in 2020 he seemed to um 
just plain abandoned pitches, whether it was the fastball and he would go to the cutter or vice versa. Um, it just seemed like he didn't quite have everything going. Maybe it comes together for him in 2021. I don't know. Um, but it just felt more appropriate to have um, um, Scoobal ahead of Mize. And then Manning, I mean, again, it's not a it's not a knock on Manning or anything like that. These are fine prospects we have in the top five. Um, but just for me, He's got some things that he's working on. He adjusted his arm path. Um, he actually spoke tonight on an interview on the radio uh, with 97 won the ticket and talked about um, how he shortened his arm path. He's got a new breaking ball. So he's he's kind of working on some things. And uh, again, I, I think Manning will be fine as well. I like his makeup, his body, his work ethic. Um, but that was just kind of my rationale behind the behind the top five. As far as go ahead, Chris, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just say, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think we, we may, may have buried the lead, but yeah, we, we have Riley Green ranked number one, which is, I think, unique among uh, any and all prospect makers for the, the makers. Um, we basically, three of us, three of us put him first in the system. Uh, and as you say, Mize and Scribble ended up being tied. In, you know, by the mathematical way we did it, and we kind of gave the edge to Scooble, I think, because three of us had him higher. It was basically a coin flip. But I don't know. I, you know, I've done too much talking. I don't know, Kellen. I'm curious what your uh, reasoning for playing Green first overall was. Yeah, I think that you know we might be a little bit biased from the recency factor here of seeing him go out in spring training last year and just you know seemingly dominate major league talent out there. Um, I, I think what it comes down to me is that he just seems to have that it factor and you know, he seems like he wants to be there in the high pressure situations. He seems like a guy that's going to, you know, really um, enjoy, you know, putting this rebuild on his back and just like carrying this team forward. And I think to me, it's that, that attitude and that factor. Um, And, you know, again, this could, this could be somewhat anecdotal, but it just seems in, in times that I've watched him and in, the results we've seen from spring training and just the, the character and the attitude I've seen from him, that, that he's going to be that it factor that pushes this thing forward. Um, and you know, that's why I have him burst overall, I'd, I'd say. Well, and Kel, you know, Kellen, I think that that's, you know, a really good point. And, and when you watch Riley green play, I think there's a maturity to his game that really belies his, you know, his age, you know, that swing is, is relatively well-refined for a, you know, a kid who's played how many games of, uh, you know, out of high school right. at this point in his career, you know? And so when, when you see a player like that, I think, you know, I, I'm sure if you went back and studied guys that, you know, that had that type of maturity, you know, out of high school and, you know, that, that ability to, you know, control the strike zone and adapt to pitches at a young age. I mean, I think that that, you know, is usually a sign that, that, you know, you have a player who's, you know, who's going to develop pretty quickly, pretty rapidly and, and have, and can have success at the upper levels of the minors. And then hopefully if you're a Tigers fan, hopefully at that major league level as well. He just, see, he just seems like the type of guy that really enjoys like proving people wrong. And, you know, when he, when he came out of high school, right. You know, he was, he was kind of out of shape. He was, you know, everybody said he can't run fast. So he, he went out and now he can, he can run way faster. And then they said, well, he, he can't play center field. Well, he, he went out and he made like three amazing catches in center field. And it's like, you know, he, he's, he's obviously gotten stronger, taking care of his body. He even has some projection left on his body, I think. And uh, he just seems like the type of guy that just, you know, really wants it and, and wants to go out there and prove people wrong. 
I'm, you just, I'm just wondering if he's going to be in my mind, I had him number three, which is, I still think pretty high and pretty good. I, I might have been the low person on him. Um, I get in my mind, is he going to be the player that Boston thought Andrew Benintendi was going to be? Not the guy he ended up being, but the guy that he was kind of hyped into a few years ago. Um, if he can get to that level, I mean, then, then we got a really good center fielder right there who's going to hit, you know, 20 to 25 home runs and, uh, you know, be an offensive force in a lot of ways. Uh, and attendee came up short of that so far. Yeah, for me, it was when I saw him at West Michigan with Chris, where we saw the adjustments he was making at the plate. And he, even in center field, he was kind of like, he was out there kind of almost like he was on the prowl a little bit. And I thought he, he, he was quicker than we thought when we saw him in center field. And I thought he played a pretty good glove out there. But even you're going up against college guys, and this is at the time a little way. And I thought that he was, he, he thought, I thought he looked good. I thought he was holding his own, considering that he was just in Connecticut, what, two weeks before that, Chris, something like that? Yeah, you know, he, he, he played nine games in the Gulf Coast League and then about a month in the New York League and then came up to Low A, West Michigan. And we were, we told him at the time that was the first time that the Tigers had brought up a high schooler to full season A ball in his uh, first pro year since 1994. Um, yeah, it, it, he just, I don't know, you guys have all pretty much covered it. I basically, in my head, I think his offensive ceiling is about the same as Spencer Torkelson's. I think he's got a chance to hit 30 home runs a year uh, in his prime, hit 300 a, a time or two, and do it while he's playing a, a slightly more valuable defensive position. I don't think he's revealed. I think he can be a solid right fielder or, or left fielder. And uh, that's kind of what edged him ahead for me. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I feel like sort of globally, he's he's being placed slightly lower just because everybody's hedging their bets about him because he hasn't faced much competition. And uh, that's fine. And I may be overreacting to those small samples that we saw in spring training and in summer camp, but he just looked so advanced to me that I, I was comfortable uh, yeah, I mean, in considering that for how many prospects we've seen come through here in the last, I mean, I can go back some ways and, and but watching some closely, Riley Green it, to me is just something for his age to be that kind of advancement throughout the Tiger system. It just it stands out because yeah. you look at some of the the younger talent that's come through. I mean, we saw Winsteel Perez who, who didn't make our list that kind of regressed a little bit. I mean, he looked like he was on his way up, and then he just kind of fell back up fell back a little bit. So for his age to be doing what he was doing, I don't know. It's just, it it wasn't again, it's not against tough or not against the really bad competition either. And to go out in the low way like that, I don't know that, that that to me just stood out because I don't remember a tiger positional player that has done that. You know, you're supposed to go from college to low way and and dominate. And we didn't see that unfortunately Mm -hmm. with Nick Quintana who struggled but we did see that with Riley Green. He's not, so. a, he's not a, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, let, you know, kind of maybe last point on Green is I, I think we frequently talk about, you know, when we talk about prospects, a lot of times, obviously, we look at a player's ceiling. But I think Green's that high school player whose floor is actually, you know, relatively high as well. I mean, when you have a hit tool like he does, I mean, that lets you get to some of these ancillary skills, you know, that that he has. I mean, he's got uh, certainly not Torkelson's, you know, Torkelson's raw power, obviously, but there's power there. And I feel like because of his hit tool, he's going to be able to use that. You know, he's going to be able to use that power. 
I mean, he's going to be able to, you know, probably play, you know, play decent deep, you know, play decent defense, even if it's on an outfield, even if it's on an outfield corner someday. And, you know, that, that, you know, that, that to me is a pretty positive sign that we're talking about a high school kid who, you know, can hit the ball, probably is going to be able to drive his way up the ladder doing that. And I mean, you know, I, I love the, I love the high ceiling and stuff like that with a lot of these guys, but you know, I, I love the fact too, that that green's got a pretty high floor. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel comfortable with their. I feel comfortable with number one, and I mean, it was it was some people were shocked that we had Torkelson too, but hey, you know, blame blame me because he probably would have been one if I hadn't had Torkelson three. But I guess uh, gotta have something to talk about, right? No, yeah, I mean, and this, and this is the first time we're seeing Bengals has ever done a top twenty, so I, I think this is a good way to yeah. that. And I know Blessy Boys has their top thirty out right now, so you want to check that out. So much <laughs> yeah, <But laughs> I don't know. Do we, anybody? Do we want to on the next five at all? The uh, that's kind of a, uh, to me. That's kind of the interest, most interesting part of the system. Uh, not the best part or the most exciting, but just where to line up that second tier of prospects because the second tier is pretty thin, in my opinion. And then you get like a, this this really big third tier. Yeah, I mean, there's there's in terms of even I know the type, look. Sounds like I'm gonna like uh, I'm letting out a hot air balloon when I say this, you know. And I'm not trying to doubt the Tigers, and we should definitely, for sure. Give him his due. I mean, the, the Tigers definitely deserve their due, but it's it's still a system that's very uh, very top heavy. And the second tier, this is where, in terms of like for next year, for example, that was the, you got Chris. You mentioned these two names earlier there on Fangraphs. Set that up for us, because when you said those names oh. earlier in the chat, that that was something that just a little well, eyebrow raising. You know, Fangraphs released the prospects of Fangraphs, and they do a fantastic job. Long and Hagen, and now Kevin Goldstein, who was our guest last week, last week, right? I don't know. Yeah, last sure. week. Um, and and uh, you know, they did the top 100, which is actually like 130 names, and then today they had you know, their pick like for next year, guys who might make the top 100 list next year. And part of this is, you know, they say they can't. Two guys that they've used before. So uh, somebody that he, he picked last year, you can't try him again. No. Uh, but they, they're always trying. Uh, part of what I like about Fangraphs is they're always trying to kind of update their process and figure out what major league teams are actually valuing. And, and they're, I think they're putting more value on relievers now because the value of relievers has gone up in major league games uh, in full. You know, we've seen starters have seen fewer and fewer innings, relievers are more multi inning. Uh, Appearances and stuff. So they had two relievers uh, with bigger skies in their picks to play next year. One of them was Zach Hess, who we've also had on the show before. And uh, the other one was Will Vest, who the Tigers lost in the uh, Rule 5 draft to Seattle, I believe. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and both of those seem like strike me. And we were talking about this. Uh, Jake and I were, which they had like, it's just really odd to see any relievers in a top 100 prospect list or projected to be a top 100 prospect. But I can sort of see the thought process in, in that, like I said, the relievers are becoming more and more valuable, and uh, they're just trying to reflect the value within uh, within the sport rather than, I guess, uh, you know, traditionally have a more prospect list. Yeah, in my in my mind, it's curious in the sense that, you know, you, I would be shocked if Zach Hess was cracking any top one hundred <laughs> list at this time next year, right? I would be. Yeah, me too. But I think in the sense that, you know, there'll be a, a 
decent major league reliever as a floor. I mean, I think that's a pretty safe bet for, for a guy like Hess. Um, you know, I mean, he throws in the upper nineties, uh, decent breaking ball. I mean, the same, same thing with vest as well. Um, so I think it's a pretty safe bet to say, you know, this guy is a, a guy that could be in the back end of, end of a back end of a bullpen come two or three years down the road. Uh, so, you know, if that's what they're going for there, then that makes sense in my mind. I, now the argument against that is like the the most effective relievers usually are failed what failed starters yeah right yeah. so if they're already a starter in the minors then the likelihood that they're going to come out and be an effective late inning high leverage go to guy it's not unheard of but it, it's it's unlikely. I I would say what I think they're trying here. Uh, and we, because we've seen over the last few years, every now and then there will be a reliever who kind of pops up from out of nowhere, like Emilio Pagan, I, I think of. Mm-hmm. He was uh, just a guy in the race system, came up as a reliever, put up like a one and a half four season right. a couple years ago. Williams um, last year. Oh, the Rays. Yeah, he, yeah. he was in the Rays and they got traded to the Padres, right? Yeah. And then he wasn't very good this year. Um, you look at what the Rays have done every year. I mean, they, they come up with an yeah. auto and he has a, a good year, year and a half. He kind of flames. Yeah. Then they move on to the next guy, and they bring in Fairbanks. You know, or they yep. give a guy with a funky delivery like Curtis a chance, and he posts a one ten ERA, and they trade him. <laughs> so, yep. uh, well, and that's so like, these, not these just, guys. Can be, they're out there; they can be found. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I don't mean to interrupt. That's where they, they had a category called "most weird stuff" is basically, and that's I think too. And they're, they're trying to find the next version of this guy who who doesn't seem like a traditional prospect. And then suddenly comes up and, and produces at the major league level. And they've got a bucket of like eight or nine guys. I think Hess qualifies as one of them, like a guy with funky stuff who could come up and, you know, do some damage. And I, I kind of appreciate that approach. They're saying, like, this is the type of guy who does this. Well, uh, you know, the odds of actually being Zach Hess seem really low, but who knows? I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of a proof of concept, I think. Well, and the fun thing is, he could be that kind of guy, but he, there, a lot of times um, they're 27 years old in their third organization when it happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're exactly right. So, I don't know, it's, it was an interesting aspect. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's fun to talk about when you, you try something different. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with it, but no. here it is. <laughs> I don't either. And think of the volatility, too. I mean, a guy like Trevor Rosenthal was on the Detroit Tigers. I mean, that fact alone tells you all that you need to know about Trevor Rosenthal <laughs> and turns around and, and signs a one year, $11 million deal. And it's like, man, it, they're just so volatile and anything can change year to year. Yeah. And it could be one simple thing that can change. For example, I always think about the, with the race with Fernando Rodney they had him go to the third side side of the rubber same thing with drew smiley and they became both mm-hmm. completely different pitchers and so i mean maybe there was something with zach hester we had him on the podcast and he's got pretty good work ethic and what have you but it's it's just i don't know it's the same thing when when people get excited about and i've, I've learned my lesson about this for example jason foley like it's he throws a fastball 100 miles an hour great but he throws it straight and so <laughs> okay. i mean you know or yeah. like you know or zach around yeah, or Zach Houston, for example. Zach, no, no knock on Zach Houston or anything, but it's it, Zach. Everybody got excited about Zach Houston because he was blowing people away, and what have you. And I, you know, I just and he got up to the higher levels and started walking people. So because his stuff, because of his, his delivery, but 
I don't know. I, the, the X starter thing is where I think I, I take more credence in the fact that if, if a guy who was starting the minor leagues becomes a reliever, a high leverage reliever, that might be the case because it seems like what AJ Hinch keeps talking about today is multiple innings, multiple innings. And the Tigers, I don't know if they're geared towards that right now. And that's kind of like leads to my next question is who in camp right now? I mean, Gregory Soto used to be a starter. We saw that he's now is going to be a reliever, but is there anybody in really in camp right now that's going to be just, they're talking about the AJ Hinch actually said something that a lot of fans appreciate today. He was talking about the role of the closer and that's going to be a little different. It's not going to be the typical one inning. It's not going to be, the, this is my guy. And he seemed like he had some choices, but who'd you go to first to close games right now? If you're the Tigers. I think, uh, I think Jose Cisnero probably fits the role most closely. But again, we're talking about volatile relievers. He was a nobody like two, three years ago, and then he was possibly their best reliever last year. He's just, he got the most, most traditional closer look to me, like a mid-90s fastball and a charge letter. But I like Soto too. He just doesn't throw quite enough strikes. Yeah, we have to think of like what closer is going to mean because Hinch alluded to it, right? As you as you talked about, he's not always going to be pitching the ninth inning. So if it's if it's a fireman role, that that Hinch is planning to deploy and just call it closer just as a, a term, I guess, or a definition. Um, Soto would be my guy for, for something like that. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I think, I think Soto makes, Soto makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, Brian Garcia was relatively effective in a small sample last year. And, you know, I don't know if he, I, you know, don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I feel like he, you know, wasn't missing quite as many bats as people thought he may, you know, when he was, when he was in, you know, when he was in the minors, um, you know, so, so, you know, generally speaking, you'd like to see somebody who can, you know, throw the ball by somebody a little bit more, but, you know, I, I think Soto's probably, you know, if it were me, the guy that I'd throw out there at the beginning of the day in those highest leverage innings. Um, and, you know, if you're a fan, he's probably the, you know, the most fun guy to watch out of, you know, out of those guys as well. So, well, you, Uber. Well, you know, I think I look at the. I, I'm, I could always start off almost every answer by looking at the Rays because I, I'm, I watch a lot of Rays baseball. I think last year in the 60 game season plus the playoffs, they had 14 guys get a save uh, over the wow. course of that short season. It was 13 or 14, it was a high number. Uh, I like that approach, to be honest. Uh, I've been talking about that for years. Uh, and I think the Tigers are in a place where they can experiment and go down that road and use a lot of different guys because they have a lot of guys who, as you just, you guys just mentioned four or five different guys who have some things that you like, but none of them are perfect for the role. Um, I think you could, and you could throw Jimenez into that mix, even though he's gotten his chances and never really hung on to anything. Uh, But there's no reason not to give him another try. I, I would like to see them, just use whoever's uh, matches up best that night, get into that mindset, make that the way they're going to run their bullpen. And I don't think they need to rely on any one player. Uh, I do like Brian Garcia. I always have uh, back from when he was uh, in college. Uh, I would love to see him grow into that role. I don't know if he might be just a little short on the stuff to do it. Uh, Maybe he's more of a mid inning guy, but I think given that the team has relatively low to non-existent expectations, they can be aggressive in how they use their bullpen, uh, try to uh, figure out different formulas and put guys in different roles and see what shakes out. 
And one of the things about this bullpen last year wasn't that, I mean, comparatively speaking to the last year, it wasn't that bad. They were in the middle of the pack. They were ahead of, of for a of FIP of 4.83 and they were just under one more. Now it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm praising them a lot and I'm, I'm just saying, but they're in the middle of the pack considerably where the starters were. I mean, the start, they, they had to go a lot to the start or the, the bullpen was used quite a bit last year. And I'm always kind of curious to see, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, if the starters went a little deeper in games, I think the bullpen would be a little better, but it was just, they were, they were getting taxed out there a little bit in even the shortened season. But I thought all things considering what was going on, we saw the emergence of Soto, but I mean, Brian Garcia, you guys mentioned it a little bit. He has, doesn't have the, the strikeout numbers to make him a closer, but the Tigers kept putting him out there as like they were trying to try him out for the closer role. But I, I, you look at anybody on this roster right now, I mean, hell you can even have, Buck Farmer, Tyler Rosanna go a couple innings for a save if they wanted to and just kind of go with the hot hand. No Jim, yeah, Jim Leland did that. Jim Leland, when he was in Pittsburgh, when he was the manager in Pittsburgh, he kind of a, he had a bullpen by committee with Stan Belinda, uh, Bob Walk. Some of these names that some of you, Kellen and, and Jake, might look at me like I'm who? But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. There's another one. Yeah, he Joe? Okay, so Joe, yeah, Joe's closer to the same age as me, so I think he would probably remember those names, yeah. those names as well. But yeah, um, without giving him any name, uh, age up. But uh, you know, it's like uh, it's one of those things where I, I, the bullpen by committee thing, comparatively speaking, to Brad Asmus, who got vilified and rightfully so because he was like, "This is my man, and I'm not going to." No, nope, it's my guy, and so I'm really interested to see how some of those middle innings will you know, will play out and, and specifically like what type of role Daniel Norris, you know, Daniel Norris has coming up this year, because I always thought I, I was pretty high on him as a prospect, thought he'd be a pretty good, you know, pretty good starter. And, but I'm, I'm really fascinated to see him more in a middle, you know, middle multiple and, in, you know, multiple innings role, even a piggyback, try him as a piggyback starter role. Like they, you know, tried in 2019 there for a little bit. I, I, I'm really interested to see how they do with some of those guys. I mean, even some of those non, you know, those, those non-roster invitees like Derek, you know, Derek Holland and Ramirez and stuff. I mean, those are guys who can pitch multiple innings out of a bullpen. And I'm kind of interested to see how Hinch is going to piece together the middle of that bullpen. Yeah. Because there's, there's so many non, you look at some of the non-roster invitees in camp too. One of the things that I, we talked about Peralta earlier is potentially getting a shot too, but you have Derek Holland, who's going to be kind of possibly down the middle relief too. And who's going to come up from the minors right now. What I, what I concern myself with in terms of relief help down in the minors is I, I look down there and you have a or Arismo Ramirez who they got from New York. Logan shore is going to be also a possibility. Uh, I know he's listed as a starter, but he could be a name that could go as a, as a bullpen guy. But other than that, I, I mean, mentioned Zach has earlier, I mean, the likes of maybe, I don't know. So when you look down, when you look down at the minors for minor league depth for bullpen, you're like, I don't know. It's uh, it's just, it's kind of scary out there with that. And so, <laughs> but, you know, I, I could see, we've always kind of uh, been a little bit low on Kyle Funkhauser, you know, as a, yeah. uh, he never seemed to throw enough strikes, or at least not have a good command, but he chose some flashes last year. You know, he was throwing like a, 97 mile an hour sinker and his slider looked good. I could see him suddenly coming out of nowhere and being a decent uh, option. You know, it's these bullpen roles are so, so, uh, you know, up and down. You never know. Come out. Hey, kind of on that note, one guy that I think is kind of interesting that I want to take another look at too is Alex Lange. 
Um, he came over in the Castellanos trade from the Cubs, I believe, uh, with Paul Rican. Yep. Um, and he, he came over as a starter, uh, kind of struggled, didn't have a great velocity, but Tigers moved into the bullpen after that trade and his velocity kind of took off. I mean, he was hitting 96, 97, nine, top 98 uh, in spring training last year with, you know, what, what seemed to me like an inconsistent, but, you know, promising slider at flash plus to me at times. Um, and so if he can, you know, bring in some consistency, I, I think that there's an arm there that's at least interesting. Um, so he, he's one not to forget about too. Yeah, the Tigers put him on their forty man over Will Vest, who we know is a top one hundred prospect. So. <laughs> and I, I think I'm I'm curious too how AJ Hinch and, and staff are gonna handle Joe Jimenez. Um he, he was a guy that obviously struggled in high leverage last year. Um really for the better part of the last two or three years, um, aside from his all star bid in in what, twenty eighteen. Um I forgot about that. <laughs> Whether it was deserved or not is a different yeah. different conversation. But um, I think that I want to see him used in a situation where there's two outs in an inning, there's a right-handed power hitter up, and you know maybe there's guys on base, and, and Hinch throws him out there and says, just get this guy out. And I think we saw that towards the end of the season last year after, after Gardenhire had removed him from the closer role. Um, I think there was one at bat in particular that I remember and it was a, we were playing the twins. It was maybe a three to two game and he came in with the bases loaded facing Nelson Cruz and he threw him three straight sliders down and away, struck him out on three pitches. And that stuck out to me because one, his, his slider isn't that bad. His slider is actually a, a pretty positive pitch in short spurts. And two, his velocity was down last year. And I think if he's able to come in and in those high leverage situations where he's facing, obviously he can't guarantee to be face, facing one hitter at a time. But if he's coming in with two outs, facing one guy, I say, just get this guy out. He can just bring it all out there for one guy at a time. You know, pitch those, those fastballs at 98 up in the zone with the slider down and away. And I think he would have success in that role. So that's kind of how I want to see him use this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Hinch, Hinch does in that with him. I, you know, I try to like keep myself from, from thinking Chris Fetter is going to be a miracle worker, you know, the magic pitch career or something like that. But with Joe Menez is another one of those guys who does have some of the underlying characteristics that could work. He's got, he's another guy with a really high spin fastball. He's going to lead the attention. Now where you know, he's releasing the ball fifty-five feet from the plate or whatever, um, I guess even closer than that. Right? My math is bad, but uh, yeah. So I feel like he's a guy that that better could do some good things with, and he could eventually reclaim that role. We've seen him work in that role before, so I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting to see. It'll 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 probably fluctuate quite a bit this year, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to the the, the Chris Fetter effect too, where how these guys are going to get better and. Maybe with you mentioned with Kyle Funkhauser, that could be the case, and he could just harness his best pitches. So let's uh, let's get to the questions. There's uh, there's about four or five questions that came in, and I'll start with the the first one. Who will stay on pace from last year, Candelario or Willie? Well, no, Victor Reyes. So it was Victor Reyes. I was looking at that for a second. Was that was Willie Castro? But uh, Candelario or Victor Reyes? Well, so I though that, that's kind of a tough question because. The the jury's still on Victor Reyes. <laughs> but, 
No one, I, no one. I, I can tell you this much. I can ask. It's like you ask somebody for what they want on pizza. They're going to tell you six different people are going to tell you six different things about Victor Reyes. I know John Uper is going to have a different opinion, but I'll. You know what? I'll start because he's a new guy. Joe, go ahead with this one. I, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this. All right. Well, first off, I, I'm I'm I am far more confident that Candelario, I think, can, you know, repeat what he did last year than uh, than I am out of out of Victor Reyes. You know, I, I think what Candelario is able to do, uh, you know, you know, I think kind of getting back to some of the things earlier, earlier in his career that gave, you know, a lot of people uh you know i think those are things that generally tra- you know that generally translate better i i mean i'm 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 not as confident that victor ray you know that we're going to see victor reyes uh you know replicate um you know replicate some of the things that he's did but i mean i say that i think i think reyes has like a 21% strikeout rate since he's been you know since he's been in the majors i think some people tend to think that he's you know kind of a you know a, a flailer up there but he has actually had some ability to make contact but if if you ask me pick one i'd go with candelario all right reyes reyes was objectively a below average hitter last year so you know he had a, a 90 like i believe a 92 ops plus so you know if he repeats that that's maybe a fourth outfielder, right? So, I mean, I could see that happening again, right? So, you, you know, if, even if he repeats his 2020 at, you know, as a half a war player in 2020, I think that, I think that that's doable for him, but it's not, it's not going to get the Tigers a starter caliber player necessarily. Um, but I mean, regarding Candelario, I think a lot of the signs are there that uh, he can at least be an above average hitter. Um, you know, whether he's able to put together that hot streak like he did at the end of last year again uh, remains to be seen but i mean he has the hard hit rate uh the walk rate the ability to avoid strikeouts to i mean all the ingredients are there for him to be a an above average hitter what about you jake yeah, I'm with you guys. A lot of the same points. Um, I'm with uh, Candelario being um, able to to maintain his pace. I think it just kind of finally came together because this is kind of what we expected of Candelario when we acquired him, right? And then it, it was there for a second and then it was gone and you thought, okay, you know, when do you pull the plug on this thing? And then all of a sudden he, he turns it around. And this is kind of what we thought Candelario could be. Um, you know, he probably hits 270. He might hit 20 home runs, something like that, and take some walks. And, and you take that seven days a week and twice on Sunday kind of thing. So um, I would say Candelario is probably the guy. And the other thing to talk about, too, is Victor Reyes is probably going to be pushed out of plate appearances. Right. We've signed Robbie Grossman and we've signed Nomar Mazzara. So he's not going to have the type of impact. He can't because he's not going to have enough plate appearances to do so. You know, the thing about Victor Reyes is that even when I was looking at some of the percentages against what he was doing against secondary pitches last year, it was still it's still not an improvement. He's a fourth outfielder at best. And that's it. There's in the, in the story in Candelario to me. I thought like I I put, I put like oh, Candelario is going to have multiple di- or double digit home runs, and I put my money where my mouth was last year because I thought at some point he's going to, based off his work ethic and based off his fielding, that he was going to put it together, and he did. But as far as Victor Reyes is concerned, he's a he's a good 
he's a good positional player. If you're going to put him out every other day or just like a good sub. Can we, can we just say that a fourth outfielder is an awesome outcome for a rule five draft pick? Yes. I mean, yeah, that is amazing outcome. you got him for nothing. So the fact that you picked up a fourth outfielder, somebody that can contribute to your major league team for nothing out of the rule five draft. That's, that's a win. That's a W. Yeah. Better than, I mean, if you look at most rule five fates, it's not, I mean, outside of what well, Johan Santana, but that's, that's, that's like what once in a, every full blue moon that happens or am I think of, I'm, I'm missing somebody. No, no, he was a, yeah, you're right. That was also uh in the old rules, they, where they've added a year. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the best rule five picks in the last 15 years or so are, are guys like Ken Ugla. And, uh, and they changed the rules for eligibility. They kind of yeah. narrowed the path quite a bit. I mean, hey, they Brett, difference. Brad Keller has been one of the best. Uh, yeah. He was the, the same, uh, same rule five draft as Brett. Uh, but now, I, I, my point was basically the same as this challenge. But, uh, I think. The, the premise of the question is a little bit off because Reyes was very good last year. He had like a, a really nice three week stretch where it was kind of like he was doing everything. He was just home runs and stealing bases or hitting. You know, <laughs> um, but I just feel like that's more likely to continue than Candelario, who was on like a four war pace last year, which I think you know, he, was, he was awesome for two straight months. I just am not sure. I feel like over the course of the full season, he's going to have a number two and be more of a, you know, two and a half, three and a half wins there. Piece worth mentioning on Candelario too is that, uh, assuming he goes back to third base, which I'm I'm begging that he goes back to third base. Yeah, I think that he'll add value there as well, and, and yeah. certainly more than he did at first base. Um, so that's another piece here uh, to consider that makes him even more valuable. Yeah, and I think that's I think he might need to see some value there because I I I think the last time I saw he had like a three ninety ish batting average on balls in play last year, so. I, obviously that, that average is going to, you know, that average is going to come down, I think more in line to what Jake's expectations are in that 270 range. So that'll knock the offensive production down just a little bit. I kind of, if he's an average hitter at third base and he's providing above average defense, I think that's certainly reasonable. And obviously the Tigers will take that any day. Yeah, absolutely. If Candelario is kind of your leading hitter of your second tier in your lineup, that's, that's a really quality player. I mean, there, you know, as you project this out forward, you got to hope that Green and Torkelson are the guys who are going to lead your contending lineup, plus somebody else that they might bring in in free agency. And then that next tier, if Candelario is your best guy, I, he has a chance to be uh, that kind of guy who helps turn that lineup over um, and be a good player that way. I was very impressed with uh, what he showed, especially from the left side of the plate last year. Um he was hitting the ball really hard, very consistent for a long stretch. Now it was a short season. Can he do it for 162? We'll see, you know, uh, but he certainly gave us plenty to look forward to. I mean, we need things to look forward to on this team. And I think that's one of them. Uh, Nick Reyes is kind of a my little pet project only because I had some friends who hated him when he was a rule five guy and he was like one for 30 or whatever he was. So I became the, the Vic Reyes uh, cheerleader just to kind of spite them. Uh, and I kind of stuck with that. Um, <laughs> I think the guy, you know, Chris took, I mean, it was amazing. It's like you're reading my mind. I was saying the exact same thing for a four, for a rule five guy. He has worked out well. Um, he's a fourth outfielder can play some positions. He's gotten better in the, in the field. He's, he's not running into people and, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. He was, yeah. He was, uh, <laughs> up and that kind of thing. 
that is stopped. So, you know, uh, he's another one. I think he should. I think he looks much better as a left-hand hitter. I would just ditch the switch hitting and platoon him. Uh, but Jake's point is great. You know, they brought in a couple left-hand bats. So um, there's only going to be so many at-bats to go around. Uh, I, I think water finds its level, and I think uh, Reyes will find his on the kind of on the bench, uh, chipping in with some pinch running. And if you start a couple starts a week, and you know that that's fine. Yeah, I mean, there's so much more you can ask for, and, and for what kind of value you're getting. So, uh, let's move on to who will have more wins, Fulmer or Norris? How <laughs> about <laughs> <laughs> who pitches more innings? Wait, yeah. Wait, can the Tigers get wins? Is that is that allowed? <laughs> in terms of even from a from a local from a standpoint of what's more important, innings thrown. In this case, I think innings thrown. I definitely think it's innings. That's why I wrote that piece about. I still think they should sign two starters because um, I think they're going to need the innings. They have so many guys who can get through the lineup. If you know getting through the lineup twice is going to be a challenge for a lot of guys, so. Um, uh, I would go with innings and, you know, there's just no telling with Fulmer. Uh, you, you'd like to think that there's something left from his rookie of the year, his all-star season. Um, but man, come up with some examples of guys who looked like he did last year after the surgery and who've fallen from such a high level and then have come back. You know, you can probably find some guys, but that's going to be a short list. He, it, it looked bad. Um, I, I'm, temp, I'm tempted to go with Norris, even if he's out of the bullpen, uh, getting through a lineup once, you know, getting two and a third or three innings that way. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, they'd be much better off as an organization if Fulmer reassumes that mantle. But I, I'm not putting any of my own money on it, that's for sure. I noticed we just got a comment from uh, John Ziegler. I was about to say the exact same thing here that Fulmer has to pitch more than three innings as a starter to get a win. Uh, I was about to say, I, I can't see Fulmer lasting through the fifth much, yeah. if at all. Uh, so I, I don't think he's going to be picking up many wins unless he's coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good point there as well. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's kind of two outcomes for Fulmer, right? He's either this opener kind of thing that he did in, in 2020 where you just kind of get him out there and see what happens kind of thing and roll with the punches. And in that case, he's probably only pitching two or three innings. Or if he's just not the same guy, then your last resort is to go to a reliever, right? In which case, he's probably not working high leverage relief anyway. So I kind of like Norris in a multiple inning role and he could potentially find some leverage spots to work in to where he could find some wins as well. It's such an inexact science, the whole win anyway, but that, that would be my pick if I had to. I think I'd agree with you guys. I think, I think Norris is the, is the guy I was leaning towards. I just think he's had more recent success. I mean, he was actually pretty good. Like, you know, he was actually pretty good last year in a limited, you know, limited number of innings, 25, 30, you know, 30, 25, 30 innings. You know, I think his FIP was actually even better than his ERA. So, I mean, peripherals seem to indicate maybe he pitched better than it even looked like on the surface. So, you know, yeah, I just, I think Norris will, will pitch better and have more opportunities to get wins. The guy who's most tradable to deadline. If he, uh, if he shows that what, you know, if he duplicates what he was doing last year. Yeah. I think I think Norris is the better pitcher at this point. So yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> I think you're right, Chris. That's, yeah. that's just the kind of the way 
I, and what's, what sucks is, you know, what with most guys come back from Tommy John and look okay. Uh, you know, at least they, they get their velocity back and they're able to be some semblance of what they used to be. Right? It kind of goes down the older you get. But every now and then there's a guy who just, it doesn't get come back. And, and But those those guys kind of split into camps. Sometimes they're the guys who just never get their velocity back. Like I think of, uh, there's a, there was a, a top prospect of the Royals named John Lamb, who was, uh, you know, part of the group that was supposed to help run the Royals. Uh, and they ended up trading them to Reds, Johnny Cueto. He just never, ever got his velocity back after Tommy John's injury. And then the other camp is like Matt Harvey, who was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. And had the Tommy John surgery, and he's he still throws hard. It just doesn't work anymore. I don't know what happened, and I, I feel like that might be where Fulmer is going to go. Unfortunately, yeah, he's in that Kyle. He's going to be in that Kyle Sleeth. Um, oh no! Oh no! No 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 no, no! 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 That's that's a name that didn't even make it. They didn't even do anything. Had that Tommy John surgery, and he was toast. Yeah, One, no. but it's usually the second year for coming back from Tommy John where you notice the difference. So. We'll see if he was losing velocity last year. That's concerned me a little bit, but can, can you guys imagine how much more fun this uh, top 20 list would have been put together? If uh, the Tigers front office would have maximized the trade value for Fulmer and Boyd when they, when they had the opportunity, this would, this would have been, this would have been amazing. We would have had 10 top 100 prospects. Uh, you're about to get us all angry here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, they'd be on the MLB club. We'd have high bias or whatever the report was. Yeah. yeah. Torres. Okay, oh, wow. who, who's gonna be a regular first, Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson? I think um, I gotta go with Torkelson. Uh, just coming out as a college bat, um, obviously older, significantly older. Um, I, I think that he definitely has a chance to be a regular by the end of this season. Um, where I, I don't think we'll see Green probably until 2022 would be my guess. <laughs> I'll say Torkelson too, but I just wrote him up. Um, you know, you look back, uh, I follow a fair amount of college baseball. Torkelson has been hitting at a high level ever since he was a freshman. Uh, so if you kind of, you know, you look at his age right now, if he had been an A ball, would he have been hitting or, or a rookie ball and then A ball at, at a young age? I think he would have been. He's been a very advanced bat. Uh, he went on to Cape Cod League with wood bats, had good bat control and um, showed some. Uh, Showed his offensive game there. He's never had a setback uh, offensively. I am so I am looking this year. How does you know when he faces pro pitching on a daily basis? He's going to have some struggles. How he bounces back from that will be very interesting to see. My guess is he will bounce back uh, when when that time comes. Uh, so I think he'll be in the majors uh, in relatively short order. Maybe this September, but I think by, you know, assuming we have an opening day in 22 with no strike or lockout, uh, I think he's a, he's there pretty fast in 22. I, I wonder if the, the defensive position, I, I would tend to agree. I think Torkelson's bat just is probably a little bit more polished when you, when you hear, when you hear scouts and, and analysts throw around terms, like he's the most polished bat since, you know, Mark to or something like that, that, generally tells me somebody's going to move pretty quickly but does the does the defensive position come into play here you know I, I think you know green has obviously played out you know has been an out you know has been an outfielder if the bats as good as we think he might still move pretty quickly maybe it takes Torkelson a little time to adjust to third base you know if he was at first base I definitely think it would be Torkelson though 
Well, you know what? I'm going to go with, uh, I'm, uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to stick with my guns here. I'm going to go with Riley Green. Do it. I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm going to be contrary in here, but I think I have some merit behind it only because I haven't seen Specter Torkelson play. Yeah. I just can't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I've seen the at bats and, and all the hype, but I'm just trying to, like, see through all the hype and just see. I like this. I've seen Riley Green play. play. When I see Spencer Torkelson, then I can make a better comparison, but I, I can't do it. So, but you have him on the Juan Soto timeline. Yeah. I mean, the I, there's none, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah, it, that's so fine. sign me up for that outcome right now. Well, the, okay, so, yes, I, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so, outcome. Yeah. <laughs> so that there, there are two, uh, two things I envision happening. And then we, We've talked about this before. I feel, I feel like the Tigers really got some good mileage out of calling up Tubal, Mize, and Freddy's all at the same time last year. And I've joked about them doing the same sort of thing with Green and Torkelson. Like, like bam, today is uh, prospect Christmas. Here you go. Both these guys called up on the same day. But then it's just a higher in the lineup, uh, which would probably be at a But the one thing I thought we heard this uh, – Already this winter, I don't know if it was Al Avila or HN, we were talking about Green possibly starting in double A Erie this year and Torkelson likely being in West Michigan, uh, which would make it you know, high A West Michigan now, make it slightly light, uh, more likely for Green. But I do, I imagine Torkelson will catch up to him pretty quickly. So I, I think it's most likely Torkelson, but it wouldn't shock me if it's the same day or if it's Green. They're both very good. <laughs> Yeah, Torkelson is going to be my pick for the record. So yeah. I, it was very boring. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that Roger stepped in and, and gave green. That way we have a little, a little bit of balance there, but yeah, for Torkelson, it's a lot of the same things. I think it's going to come down to positional need and they've even referenced as an organization, like, Hey, you know, Miguel Cabrera came up as a left fielder because that's what the Marlins needed at the time. I think it's going to be a similar thing where they're trying to make Torkelson work at, at third, but ultimately like there's a gaping hole at first base. And I think that ultimately he's going to end up there and that's where he's going to be called up to play. Here's a non a very unfun topic on this. I, I alluded to it a little while ago. With the collective bargaining agreement ending and so much uncertainty and, and it could get so ugly, are they better off waiting until they know what system they're playing under starting in 22 once once they do get an agreement? I mean, yeah. is, it worth their, is it worth their time to even put them in the majors at any point this year for sure? And, you know, then they have to wait until after the agreement is uh, hammered out whenever that is. I mean, that might eliminate all those guys and Manning this year. No, that's I I think I I would put it uh, either of them coming up this year at like a zero five percent. I think you're right. I think they're not going to do anything with their service time until they understand what's going to happen next year. Yes. The, the flip side of that is, is that maybe they'll get wind of some potential where like, hey, if you get a guy in like start your service clock before the next CBA that you still get six plus years of control. And in the next CBA, you only get five or whatever. So they might, sure. might, wa- might want to force it. But uh, yeah, I, mean, I just, unless the Tigers are uh, unexpectedly competing or, you know, 500 in July or something, I just, I don't see them pushing either of these guys up this year. Yeah. The, the Tigers should, and unless there's a, some sort of catastrophic incident with some of the, players that are positional players there's no need to 
I just want I, for me the, the biggest goal is to see what the 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 last two draft classes will be like, and that to me was to show the kind of progress of the farm system that that I'm looking forward to, and that's what I really want. In terms of, and that kind of leads to the next question: Who is the most underrated or undervalued prospect in the organization? <laughs> it's a loaded question, but let's take a first crack. I will. I don't know if anybody's tired of hearing me talk. I mean, we kind of you could look at uh, look at our spreadsheet and see. Uh, but I, but my answer to this is always uh, basically basically Joey Wentz, um, which is I, it's a little bit iffy now that he had Tommy John surgery. But he sounds like he's making progress. I just I feel like uh, he kind of gets left out because he doesn't have the ceiling of the other three top pitching prospects. But I think he's got the same floor. Basically, I, I think there's a really good shot that Joey Wentz becomes a number four, or number five starter. He's got the same sort of uh, arm angle and and uh, I, I don't know about his spin, but he's got some of the same traits that uh, Google does as a lefty. He's he's pretty athletic. I don't know who wrote up his who wrote up his uh, blurb for us, but they noticed that he hit a 540 foot home run or whatever in the high school home run derby. He was a big time uh, power hitting first baseman, and he's got a really good changeup and he's got playable breaking balls. I just think like there's. He's got a really good chance to be a back of the end, a uh, back end uh, starter, and I think that's a lot more valuable than we tend to realize. I learned a ton about Wentz from from doing that write up, and he actually—it's funny you mentioned that home run. Yeah, he he won the junior home run derby at the MLB All Star Game as a junior in high school, I believe. Hit a 535 home run, and Fangraphs at one point had him as 70 raw power as a hitter. And that was just crazy to me. So he, you know, he, he was focusing on pitching still, but he could have been a hitting prospect as well, which speaks to how good of an athlete he is. Um, and, and I was always under the impression just from watching him and from what I've read about him after the trade, the Shane green trade that he was, you know, like you said, kind of a, a number five starter without much upside besides that. But in, in doing some more research and going a little deeper there, I mean, he has, he has, he's had some inconsistency in his fastball velocity, but when he's on, I mean, he can get up to 95. He has two, at least average off-speed pitches. He has good vertical movement on the fastball. I think he was actually on the fan graphs picks to click from last year. Um, and so obviously the Tommy John is a setback, but I think when he comes back, I mean, if he, if he's able to maintain consistency in his fastball velocity up to, you know, 93 to 95, like we had seen at times, I mean, I don't see any reason why he can't be a number three starter. And I think that was abundantly clear to me when I was writing that up. And I, I really didn't know that before. So I'll kind of echo your your sentiment there on underrated. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people saw Matthew Boyd as being like a number three, a number four starter. And, and nah. it's, it's it's not an, like an exactly identical profile, but they're close enough, you know, big all lefties, some, you know, three usable pitches. Uh, and I will, I assume we will see Wentz here probably in August or September so. Look forward to that. As far as underrated prospect in the organization, I thought about this question all day and I went back and forth in my head. And, and this is something that you guys probably may, may come as a surprise, may not. I, I don't know. But that's Jake, that's Jake Rogers. <laughs> you know why? I, you know why I think he's undervalued and under, we saw some of the progress he was making last year in Lakeland saw the power, we saw the swing changes, the mechanics, and, they got, and somehow that got buried. And look, I know what Chris is going to tell me. Well, Roger, 
remember, or you know, remember last year when they didn't call him up during the sixty man and they called up Eric Haas? Yes, I would, I'm I would never. I yeah, you got to factor in the fact that the organization hates him. Come on. Yeah, no, and, and it's, it's like, yeah, and maybe that's what it is. And, and there's even David Littlefield, the, the master gateman down there in Toledo is like, no, 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 I, I don't know. And, and I also think about what the, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, Doug McKavich said too, you know? And so I don't know. I, I think Jake Rogers is undervalued. I don't appreciate it. And I think that if he comes out swinging this spring, then great. Then it, I'll be proven right. But if he comes out and does what he did before, but I, I just think, I just think right now as an organization, that just, he was doing stuff last year and, and the Tigers, again, I don't know what was going on down there and we'll never know what happened in summer camp. Cause it's so it was guarded like fortress of solitude. It was no one knew what was going on in there. So, um, but was it Drew Carlton? Was that Drew Carlton comment there? Wow. Yeah. John Ziggler. Yeah. So that's interesting. No, Cause I, I dug into Drew Carlton when I was doing the, the TMLR tools last year or whatever. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of a poor man's Dutch driver. If you will, there's a little bit of uh, <laughs> too soon, Chris, too soon. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of kind of sidearmed a little section. You know, I think he, he gets his front shoulder toward the better. So that it's hides the ball. Well, and he's got his fastball had some life to it, even though it's only like 90, 92, the breaking ball is okay. But yeah, it's not, uh I don't know he, he's a guy. I, I remember seeing him in spring training. I think, and he just got absolutely rocked. And uh, you know, it's just one or two outings, but I think he's just a little bit short of being uh, a legitimate prospect. But you never know. We we talked uh, at, at nauseum about these believers coming out of nowhere, so he's at least a name to know in the system. I just I don't think he's necessarily, uh, you know, gonna turn into a prospect. Yeah, when I, when I think undervalue, I, I wonder if if we've we've i mean he's a former first round pick so maybe we've soured on Derek hill a little bit too you know a little bit too much as a prospect community i mean he's a guy who obviously is super fat you know super fast i think Fangraphs has him as a 65 or 70 speed wise i mean has a potential to play plus defense in center field i mean now the difference between being a rule five pick and a first round pick is pretty significant from an expectation standpoint but I mean, a fourth outfielder out of a guy who's, you know, back into the top 30, at, I'm guessing on most prospect lists. I mean, that'd be a that'd be a, a pretty solid outcome for somebody. And Hill seems to have some tools. I mean, he's he's hit well at some points in the minors. I mean, he's controlled the strike zone at some points in the minors. I mean, so I mean, he's a guy who I think, you know, there's still an outside chance that he can impact a big league roster. You know. We've talked before about how Derek Hill is one of those strange players who might not fit on a rebuilding team like the Tigers, but might be a great fit for like a championship level team. Oh, where, they just need, yeah. where they need one outfielder who can just go get the ball and run really fast and, and a guy who can help the bases. Uh, where the Tigers maybe can't afford to do that or can't afford to give them the advantage to get any better. But, but that's a good too. And I think, uh, you know, any of these, these former first round picks, uh, Bo Burrows comes to mind. You know, yeah. Yeah. Again, who knows? He's he's a guy who's got some favorable fastball traits. It's just he just kind of doesn't look all that great anymore. All right, and then, uh, oh, go ahead. I think it was my my first ever write up for for MCB. Actually, was on Derek Hill, and I I thought for a while he was he was underrated as well. And I I kind of wanted to explore like, is there a path for him to get to the major league as an as an actual everyday center fielder? And I guess really what it comes down to is there's not really many players who have, who have made it to the major leagues and like had success with his tool set, uh, just with his, you know, his 
terrible hit tool basically is what it really comes down to. <laughs> um, Wait, yeah, I mean, come on. You have to hit now. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's, if he could, if he could bring his power to above average, then maybe he could be like a, a Keon Broxton type mm-hmm. um, where, you know, he was around for a few years, but you know, right now he's really looking pretty much like a poor man's like Adam Engel. And, you know, I, I was always happy when, when Adam Engel was up to the play when we were playing the, the white side. Mm-hmm. Just my yeah. two sets. Yeah, the swing, it doesn't look good. I, I think, not to get too far off topic, but yeah, but I think that somebody like Parker Meadows is another guy who, it's, it's a little bit early to say this, but he's also a guy who looks like he might not hit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always weird to me. Uh, I, I just feel like he's a guy, he's got a mechanical issue with, you know, by hitting something. And it's, it's, we think of these athletes as these, guys who should be able to alter their approach and do things differently. And some of them can, but other guys, even these top-notch athletes, you know, changing your muscle memory is really hard. I, I like to think about like, if a doctor told you that like, suddenly you just had to walk like this, like whatever, <laughs> like, like, Hey, you gotta do that. Uh, we could do it for a little bit, but eventually we go back to the way we've been walking our entire life. I feel like that's the way with these guys swinging. And then also the mental aspect of it, like you, you get drafted as a hitter. And the, the team's like, hey, we love you, except you can't hit. So change the way you hit. And it's like in my head, that's got to, I, I would think that would really mess you up as a person. Like it's it's almost like uh, like if uh, you were a model and you got hired, hired by a modeling agency. They're like, yeah, you're great. You just got to change your face. <laughs> we, we, always, we always put this really fun spin on it. Like we're rebuilding, you know, we're rebuilding yeah. their, you know, their swing, which makes it sound like this real positive. But yeah, you're, I think you're right, Chris. I think it's got to be incredibly difficult. I, I mean, well, some guys, some guys do it. Some, we, some guys do it in the first off season in this space. I, you know, not everybody can. As far as you know, it's Derek Hill's dad too. Don't piss, don't piss off Derek Hill's dad because there was there was talk about when he was changing his swing for power and people were trying to dog on Derek Hill's Derek. Derek Hill's dad came on Twitter. I think was it Twitter or social? I, I forgot where he was, but he was just like, "Look, he's working on some things. Step <laughs> off." And it was the guy who used to play in the major league, so he knows something or two. But the the, the did everybody get to do uh, do an underrated one? Yeah, I did, did I miss somebody? I'm sorry. Well, I, I was, both of mine were taken already, so I, I kind oh, of, sorry, okay, which is fine. <laughs> I was well, you, you, Jake, you, I had Jake Rogers teed up, and then I was going to go with Wentz. So we're good. You guys you can go first. You can go first and overrated if you want. Yeah, go for it, John. Well, overrated. I mean, I was thinking Daz Cameron, Parker Meadows. I mean, they're, they're kind of ranked very close. In our in our rankings, um, he Daz Cameron still lingering on. You know, I, I think we have him tenth. I believe it was tenth. Whatever. Um, if Daz Cameron's father was an electrician and wasn't an ex major league player, I mean, would we still have him where we have him? You know, I think some of that plays into it. Um, he came last year. I liked obviously the speed was good. I think he'd be a, a fine defender. Um, he had a couple opposite field line drives that I thought, you know, that was kind of fun to see. Uh, but proofs in the pudding, other than that one big stretch he had in his last months with the uh, Astros organization, it just hasn't been there. So, you know, he, he's kind of looking like he's going to be in that fourth outfielder bin as well. Uh, I'm not sure I see a starter coming at any, any point. Uh, Meadows, you know, as Chris just mentioned, is he going to hit? kind of is getting to be that time where he at least needs to show a pulse on a regular basis. 
Um, so I would say those are kind of my two guys. I would love to see them both take a step forward this year. Um, it'd be huge for the organization. But uh, if I picked one that will take that step, I'll still go. I'll go with Meadows only because he's lower in the system and he still has a little bit of time on his side to hopefully flourish. What about you? I'll go with uh, I'll go with you, Joe. <laughs> uh, you, you know, guys, I, I the, the guy that I've been struggling with, you know, lately is, you know, and I've been trying to, you know, like find anything you can. And, and Raj, I think you hit on it. You know, you talked about him a little bit earlier. We haven't seen Campo since he was 14, you know, 14 years old, play base, you know, play baseball. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, Rohelia, you and Chris, I think even on the on the last podcast, you know, we're, we're talking about or one of the recent podcasts, you know, we're just talking about, um, I think, with Kevin, just to like how hard it has to be to evaluate a prospect. What, you know, at that at that age and project a eight to 10 years down the road when they, when they get to, you know, when they get to the big league. So I, I just, I just wonder if the, un, the complete unknown of what Campos is and who he is. I mean, I, I mean, he, he looks like he's right. You know, I guess he, he looks like he's a, you know, big, strong athlete, you know, athletic guy. I, I you know, I, he seems kind of, I think maybe even so fairly to, valued. So does so Steven Moy. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, the guy had a cannon from the out. The guy had a cannon um, from right. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so I, I, that's one of those things that I, I just I, I struggle with him a little bit just because, I, I mean, there's there's really zero track record, you know, for us to, you know, to point to and and, you know, really say, hey, this is where we're planting our flag. You know, this is why we think he can be a big leaguer. Yeah. Uh, Jake, what about you? For me, it's Wednesday Perez. Um, and, and maybe a decade ago or something like that, if he's coming up, maybe he's like a top 10 prospect because you could have gotten by at shortstop with playing great defense and just kind of, you know, getting by with the bat. But he's somebody who struggled quite a bit too. And, and we've seen this time and time again, whether it be Dixon Machado or Sergio Alcantara, like it's not enough just to play defense. You got to do something else on the ball field to, to last. And, and to make it as a regular. So the bat has a lot to do in order to find any type of regular role in an MLB roster. So for me, it's Perez. I think people are just kind of hanging on and dying on that hill. That's a really good one. Callum, what about you? I'll go a little uh, off the mainstream here. I, I saw something back on MLB.com uh, back a couple months ago that said that Gage Workman was on the minor league gold glove team at third base. And I took a look at it and I was like, dude, hasn't played an inning in the minor (laughs) leagues. (laughs) And I mean, I think he, he played some shortstop in college and you know, he's, he's supposed to be a good, a good glove at third base, but I mean, let's like pump the brakes a little bit there. I mean, obviously he's got some tools and quick feet, strong arm, you know, big body at third base. But I think that was just something that stuck out to me. Like, you know, I don't think we know what he's going to look like on defense yet. So let's just calm down a little bit there. But I'm, I'm also cracking up at, at John's comment here, Cam Gibson. Um, you know, I was, that just, uh, that kind of triggers me a little bit because I remember watching him as a 26 year old in double a getting at bats over our actual prospects. Uh, they're in left field. So that, uh, that one hits home, John. Thanks for that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a good one, John. But, uh, yeah, I, as far as, you know, Jake, you mentioned went until Perez. I mean, I've seen the kind of the regression a little bit. I mean, we saw him the first time we saw him, he looked really good. He looked, 
he was bearing off the ball right, and then he got looked like he, he was skinny, and then he got gained a little weight. It was kind of like remember Chris, you were talking about his uh, big thighs, and he looked like he yeah, and then he just couldn't square up the ball like he was before. And I will say this. I know there's there's some people out there who are big on him or still big on him, and I and I'm kind of mi- rather miffed about it. Sam McMillan, <laughs> you know, there's there's some, and I'm saying that it's not like he doesn't come up in prospect circles or anything, but among Tiger prospect circles, he's still talked about a little bit. But I thought he was do. in the witness protection program somewhere. <laughs> oh, so he's, he's, he's in there. He's in there with Jose King because I mean, I would, you know, <laughs> I would like a. Uh, Go get them too as well, but it's just one of those things where I, I, I've never understood the hype behind Sam McMillan. I, and every time we saw that he could get on base, but could he square up and hit a ball again? No, so you know, no knock on a guy at uh, double A or single A that had the the on base percentage that was higher than the slugging. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who is that? Oh man, I'm trying to draw, draw a blank. Oh. Um, yeah. No, I, I think uh, you know high school catchers. Often take like a decade to get the big, but uh, still, yeah, I don't know. I had, uh, I don't particularly, I don't think any of us like love talking about overrated players. We don't, you know, we don't want to be mean to these guys. Uh, and I, I kind of, mine are just kind of relative to the sort of love that we see on Twitter and Tiger's uh, Twitter. I just, I feel like Bryant Packard and Jose De La Cruz are a little bit overrated. Just, and this is just, uh, like I said, from from the, the Tigers prospect fans, uh, I think, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, but Packard is kind of a little bit like uh, Torkelson, where I, I, a lot of it has to do with the position. You just you have to hit a ton to be valuable playing first base. And I really liked Bright Packard. We he interviewed us, or we, we interviewed him. He was a super nice kid, uh, really personable. Looks like he's working harder than hell. He's lost a bunch of weight. I, I wouldn't put it past him at all. I think he's probably got a, a big, big cut. I just don't know if he's going to hit for the power that you need to really be anything more than like a bench bat at the league level. And that's, I mean, that's still pretty damn good for a fifth round. I feel like there are people now who think that like he might be the starting first base of the future. I think that's just a much to ask from him. Chris, and, I'm uh, curious with, about your thoughts uh, moving Packard to first base. I mean, why was that needed right now? I mean, I, He's getting in, in better shape. He seems like he's getting some speed back. I mean, is he, do they really need to move him off left field right now? Like, why would they do that? I don't think so. I mean, I, that maybe that's indicative that they think he has more power than I do. Uh, I think he's probably average, maybe uh, above average power, for like 15 to home runs. Uh, maybe they think he's got more juice in there. I don't know. Maybe it's just the versatility thing. They want him. But he's played some first base pass, too. So I think he played first base with USA. Uh but maybe it's just a, a thing like, yeah, left field, first base, get him playing everywhere. Uh, but yeah, it did seem like kind of inopportune timing for to see him. He's cut all this weight and looks felt and like, yeah, we're just going to have you stand there at first base. Like, oh, all right. And and it's like, you know, it's like if the power is there, then that's even better for left field. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, we talked before that the first base within the system is kind of a wasteland. They don't have, I mean, you're talking now Torkelson and, that's it. Until with Packer, they you, you know they had the, the ghost of Ray Rivera, but uh, so I don't know. Maybe it's the organizational need, but I don't. Hopefully, he can still play some outfield. But like I said, I just I, the people love love him because he can hit, and that's good because the Tigers didn't have hitting prospects forever. I just don't know if it's going to be enough for him to be uh, you know really a great major leaguer. 
And with De La Cruz, this is a, a sort of a, along the lines of Campos stuff. You know, he at least had a season in the Dominican Summer League. But when we're talking about kids like that who miss, they miss a whole year of development because of the, the pandemic. It, it's really hard for somebody like that, like a you know, it's eighteen year old Dominican kid. He's going to be coming to play in the Gulf Coast League this year, I think. And he just he, he strikes me as the sort of profile. He's just a, a cool scoop, which I love. I love guys. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got an arm. He might be center field. But he's a guy I could see running a 40% strikeout rate with like a 5% walk rate in the future. Okay. I, I just, I, I've compared him to uh, Wilkin Ramirez a bunch, who used to, I don't know. If, Ooh, uh, that's yeah, like that's 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 yeah. Wow, that's a Wilkin, name. Wilkin Ramirez had a couple of 2020 seasons, I think, in AAA. He just couldn't quite hit. And and that's just sort of what I worry about with someone like they like who's excited about the tools. I just think, and I, you know, I think I have them 16th or 17th on our list. So I'm as yeah. guilty of this as anybody. But I just feel like it's, it's we're all a little bit overheated on, on guys like that. Those are mine. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a good summary of everything. And and I know that even Joey Joey Morgan too should be under the witness protection program too. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. That's a so third round pick was he? That third round draft yeah, pick. Yeah. That's the ill fated twenty seventeen draft class. That's still that yeah, was a rough one. Yeah, it was. That was the two, two catchers because McMillan was taking one in the fifth round in that draft. Yep. Fido, mm-hmm. oh. Rivera, Morgan. Who came for Was Cooper Johnson in that draft as well? I think Cooper Johnson was the twenty nineteen. I thought it was twenty nineteen, right? Or I think I think he was. He was a sixth round. Yeah. I think he was sixth round. Yeah, twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah. That was still 2019. That was, uh, yeah, Katana, Lipschitz, Kreidler. Gotcha. Johnson, Hess, Bergner. Who else did we get there? Or Packard. Yeah. 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 That's trying to think of like that other. I feel like they're missing the. Is that it though? There's nobody else in the system in the 2017 draft, is there? Is, uh, 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 did somebody say Geo Aria or Aria? Did they mention Aria? Did he retire? I thought he retired. I don't think so. I think they still believe in him a little bit. He's got a decent curveball, but was was Cole Peterson the 2017 draft? I think so. Oh, Drew Carlton was in that draft too. Drew Carlton. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Drew Carlton, and then uh, another. You know who's still in the system for that draft from the 17th round? Billy Leshner. Oh, right. I totally forgot. Yeah, he, I forgot he existed. That might, uh, unfortunately, that might. Oh, got Max Green too. Max oh, Green. Yeah, Max, there there okay, there we go. Yeah, Max Green might work out. It's a big favor among uh, some prospect circles. So, all right. Thanks so much for listening to the MCB Roundtable. You can find us over at Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And find the episode. We'll be posting it probably sometime tomorrow afternoon or early Saturday. Depends on production-wise. I don't really have to do much editing. So, and uh, you can find it on our YouTube channel, Tech Mind Report. And some, some news coming up about the podcast, but we'll keep that under wraps for now. But, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking some baseball soon and just glad baseball's back. Yeah. And there's the just got there's word that all the spring training games were sold out. So, if so, if you're heading down there, it's going to be at 20% capacity. Mm. So, start scalping those spring training tickets. <laughs> yeah. File so. that under words you never thought you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the people like lining up a joke at Marcus Stadium, like, you got any of those tickets, man? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got them? I, I want to, yeah, we need to, yeah, we already got the minor league schedule all carved up. So, but until next time, we'll, we'll see you next time. Peanut butter ticket sandwich. <laughs> Peanut butter crack sandwich.
Oh man. It's all right. That was good. That was um, a little longer than I thought it was going to be, but still yeah. pretty good. So Cal, nice work. Everybody, everybody nice job. Yeah. Great uh, job. Good. That yeah, was yeah. fun. That was good. Hey, it was good. Uh, meeting you, right? meeting you guys all. Yeah. Even if it, even if it's yeah. through a computer. You know, well, yeah, this is the thing. I just realized that. Yeah. I, yeah. This is the first time I've ever, you know, it's funny too, is I never even, um, I still haven't met Chip yet. Well, I'm going to actually meet Chip James Shipman for the first time this summer. Two years now, and I've never met the guy. <laughs> so, all right, gentlemen. Well, I'm gonna I put this to bed, and uh, thanks again. And um, what was I gonna say? Uh, I feel like I'm missing something. Ah, nah, I'm good. But there. all right, guys. All right, see you guys. See you, everybody. See you. Some sort of Alzheimer's episode. I can't remember anything. Okay. Keith. Oh. <laughs>